Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's daily podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Um, Can I ask a question? Yes, so um, we'll be starting the conference call now. Uh, Rahul is not able to join today. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with the firm. Um, and yeah, I believe Gayatri has selected someone already. Kaushik, you can go ahead. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Rebecca. Uh, my priority date is uh, 23rd May 2011. And in October um, last year, uh, my employer filed my I-485 with downgrade option. However, from this month, my Final action date is current in EB2 as well as EB3. So my employer is proposing that they will file an I-485J uh, interfi- uh, to transfer my uh, with, with EB2 I-140 and at the same time submit my medicals so that it increases the chance of they picking my medicals. Um, is that is there any downside to it? They think there is no downside to it. I just want to confirm there is none. Not really. Um... Yeah, the interfiling is an option when you've filed in one category and you want to try to transfer that pending I-485 to a new category that is now current in the final action date. Um, The advantage of interfiling is you don't need to file a new I-485 application with the new filing fees and kind of start from the beginning. I'd say the only downside is that uh, the interfiling process is not very formal. There's not an official form that you file. It's mostly just a letter that you send in. It may help that they are sending it in with the I-485J. Um, that might help match it up to your file a little better. But in the past, uh, in like 2012, 2007, when those filings were made and attempts were made to interfile, kind of the downside was that it was difficult to track UCIS doesn't, in the past, they haven't given any confirmation that the interfiling was successful or, you know, that they have moved it over or when to expect um, an update on that. I would say that's the only downside, but there's definitely no harm in... They won't, it won't delay my process, correct? I would say it wouldn't. Um, let's see. If... If it's current in EB2 right now, it's also current in EB3. Correct. So it's also, there's also no harm in letting it continue in EB3, unless we think in the next couple of months, it's going to shift all of a sudden where EB2 is farther ahead. So I would say there isn't that much harm, but it's probably not that necessary. But they have not even got my biometric set on EB3. I mean, so I, I was thinking it might help to have an additional uh, supplement J file. It may at least make them open the file. Is that not a, is that the thing? If you're with the same employers before, another supplement J isn't really necessary. Um, so 
I'm not sure that that would motivate them to to move it farther ahead. I mean, there is just a big backlog right now in the biometrics oh. appointments uh, for a lot of people who filed in October. Thank you, Rebecca. Sure. Uh, Gayatri, we can go to the next person. Raveen? Are you able to hear me? Sorry. Yes, I can hear you now. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for your time. So here my scenario is, uh, I was working for a company A and I got two offers from the company B and company C. And I shared my company A documents with both of them and company B filed the H1 transfer and it got approved for three years. And I, after I joined in the company B, company C filed the transfer with the company A documents and it got approved for only one year. So due to the short approval, I didn't join the company C and company C recently withdrew the petition. So in this case, from the, yeah. So in okay. this case, from the USA's point of view, the, the latest action taken in my case is the company C withdrawn, right? So, so in this case, what date should I consider for the lawful presence in the US? Which company are you working for right now? I'm working for in the company B, so which is approved for three years. Okay, that's fine. Uh, company C withdrawing their application for you because you ended up not joining that um, that won't affect your status because when you do have more than one transfer filed, I know there is that last action rule, um, you know, that we've discussed in the past in like the Facebook Live and probably Rahul has mentioned in these sessions. Um, that doesn't really apply when you have more than one approval notice that you could potentially join and then you just end up joining one of them. Even if company C's transfer was filed later and approved later, you're not obligated to join them. Um, you okay. could have stayed with company A, you can move to company B since they have a valid approval notice. So you're working according to a valid approval notice right now. So it's, you're fine. You're not out of status or in unlawful presence. Okay, okay. So now I can check my company B dates and I can apply for the extension right, based on the company B dates. Right, you can go by that I-797 approval. Okay. Okay. So because the company C is approved only for one year, because that's where I got the doubt. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. I think that's, that's sure. helped me. Yep. Okay. Virendra? Uh, yeah. Hi. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Hello. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> my priority date is uh, 2016 September uh, with EB2. And uh, my current employer applied my firm and it's approved. Uh, if I apply uh, EB3 premium now, in case if EB3 dates are not current in October, then what are my options? Do I have to again do EB2 premium also again? You don't need to. Um, if it's not current in EB3, but is current in EB2, you can definitely, and you should at that time, apply the I-140 in EB2 um, concurrently with the I-485 application. You may not be able to apply for the I-140 the I in premium processing at that point because um, you've probably heard that we can't file a downgrade in premium. That's because the downgrade is usually the second I-140 that we are filing based on the same PERM application. But if the 
if the first I-140 you're filing, you're going with EB-3 and then subsequently going with EB-2, then it's that EB-2 that can't be filed in premium initially. It's just whichever is second based on the same labor certification. Um, but if it's further ahead in EB-2, that's what you should do. File concurrently just in EB-2 file together with the I-485. If it's not current in either category, uh, you don't have to take any action at that point. You'll have an approved EB-3. And then depending on how the dates do move, you can decide whether to file an EB-2, maybe in anticipation of it being current later, if it is moved ahead farther in EB-2, but um, you're not required to, to take action necessarily. So if, uh, if my EB-3 is approved in premium, then my EB-2 will go away? No, um, if your perm is filed such that you're eligible for EB-2, then you have the choice of filing in EB-2 or EB-3. So a lot of people are, you know, if their labor certification is recently approved, they're making the same decision you are right now, whether to file an EB-2 or 3, because um, EB-3 has been farther ahead pretty consistently for several months. Um, so for people who are deciding to file an EB-3 as their first I-140 application, you still reserve the ability to file a second separate I-140 later in the EB-2 category based on the same PERM as long as your employer agrees to. And most of them, it, it should be fine, especially if you offer to pay the fees for that second I-140. So you can still file an EB-2 later. Okay, sure. Yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. Sure. So, Chris. Okay, so my question is uh, about, so my priority date is uh, August 2015, and uh, I changed my job last year, and I'm with new employer. My With my previous employer, I have my I-140 approved in both EB2 and EB3. Um, if I uh, move back to my previous employer, do I need to go through perm process again or the approved I-140 in EB2 and EB3 are still valid? And you know, if the date becomes current, uh, considering the movement, if, if it happens in September or October this year, uh, can I file, uh, you know, 485, uh, or depending on the which date most, can I file a 485 with the previous employer if I move back? Yeah, that is fine. Um, if you go back to the, previous company or that previous company is willing to um, sign the I-485J supplement for you uh, later this year if your dates are current. So you have, an, you have two I-140 approvals, one in each category with the same company. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you have some options. Um, you can go back and uh, do that. If they have withdrawn the I-140, one or both of the I-140s after you left, um, that may not be possible unless they file another I-140. Uh, if they've withdrawn either of them, um, they'll have to file another one, but they but could they, do that. But we don't have to go through the PERM process again, right? Right, they don't. Mm -hmm. Okay. As, okay. Long as, the, um, as long as the, an I-140 was filed based on the PERM, and that I-140 was um, eventually approved, even if they withdrew it later, 
they can file a new so i140 those i140s were approved for uh, you know several years if it passes 180 days those can't be withdrawn right in any way the company can still withdraw it um it's just that once it passes 180 days of being approved you can still use it for purposes of extending your h1b status for 3 okay. years mm -hmm. or um for porting your priority date but if the company wants to if you want to use that i140 as the basis of an i485 it can't be withdrawn but um if they have withdrawn it they can file a new one on based on the same term got it okay Kartik uh, Hi uh, I applied uh, basically my wife uh, H1B applied in the year 2020 Okay um the case was pending and then at the same time uh, I had to apply H4 as well along with my H1B Uh-huh So the H1B approved first before the h4 mm -hmm. uh, but the effective date is october 1st so the effective date of h1 is october 1st by the time h4 is still pending so which like uh, we send a letter to the usi saying that we want the h4 from and stay to before october 1st so that uh, we won't be out of status for that particular two months or three months period but the but the us has approved for the whole three years so right now what i'm saying is my wife is on h1b and then she's also on h4 but h4 recently approved h1 was approved before so i'm trying to understand uh she's on h1 or she's on h4 yeah so she can't be on both at the same time Um yeah sorry I didn't follow exactly the timeline of everything that was filed and when the effective dates were um but are you saying that your H1B that was recently approved has an effective date of October 1st 2021 No that's my wife's H1B October uh, 1st 2020 Mhm mm, um, Okay I would say you may need to schedule a consultation to go over the documents with an attorney because I think in order to answer your question um I would need to like look at each approval notice and figure out when each one was approved went into effect um and figure out the status that way. Oh okay okay. Yeah, it would probably okay. take too long to try to to sort out all the dates on this call. Okay, okay, very good. Um but for now in 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 short like I would say she's on H1B, she's on H4. H4 got re recently approved like yesterday. So she um she needs to stop working. Uh, is that the question that you I You have asked? to take a look at the I797 approval okay. notice for her H4. So even if it was approved recently, if it doesn't go into effect right away, you have to look at the validity dates. So there should be a start and end date of the validity period on the I797 approval notice for her H4. If it's not um a current or past validity date, then she's still in H1B status until that effective date. Okay. Okay, okay thank you. Sure. Wendy 
Vandi? Hi, uh, I have a question about the automatic revalidation. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, planning to go to Mexico to get back onto H4 from H1. So my question is in the recent past, is there anything changed due to COVID restrictions? No, actually, um, yeah, last year, it, we weren't sure if automatic revalidation would be affected by um, travel restrictions from COVID, but it seems it is not. Automatic revalidation is still uh, possible. Um, the only difference is just that we've been recommending that people travel to Mexico or Canada by, uh, by air instead of driving uh, because there are more restrictions on travel at the land border crossings. But as long as you're flying, it should be fine. And people have successfully um, done automatic revalidation. So you just need to make sure that you have, you have an I-797 approval notice that has an I-94 attachment for, that's you know, valid uh, in the future. Um, and then an expired visa stamp in your passport. And as long as you're going to Canada or Mexico for a period of 30 days or less, when you're coming back in, they can admit you without you having to go through the consulate to get a visa stamp. So the, the documents that I'm supposed to uh, submit, I mean, currently I'm on H1, I'm planning to move to H4. So I mean, both are valid up to another two years. So- So but... you have an H4 I-797 approval notice in your name, right? Yes, yes. That's valid for two more years. Yeah, then that should be fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Manish? Uh, hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Uh, hi, hi ma'am, I have two questions. Uh, first question is, uh, if once I get my EAD, but 140 and 140 approved, but it's not been 180 days since 140 approval, am I allowed to switch job? Is there any risk where old employer can revoke my 140 and jeopardize my green card future processes? So the 180 day rule for your changing employers is counted from when the I-485 is filed. So not necessarily from when the I-140 is approved. Okay. So once your I-485 has been filed and pending for at least 180 days, which if you filed last October or November, then it's past that time. Okay. Uh, and if your I-140 is approved and you have your EAD, um, it's pretty easy then for you to switch jobs now. Um, unless you need to maintain H-1B status for uh, like a child who's reaching 21. Um, right. Unless you're in that situation, I would say it should be fine for you to switch jobs. Okay, okay thank you. And second question is, ma'am, uh, on my application, my wife was not part of my you know, original application. Uh, if I switch job with the new employer on H1 and by filing 485J, can my wife be added by the new employer on my application or it has to be old employer only? Um, let me see. So your wife did not file her no. I-485 along with you last October? Yes. Okay. Um, so she can only file the I-485 then when you when your priority date becomes current according to chart A, according yes. to the final action dates chart. Is it current now? Yeah, it is. It is current now, okay. yes. 
yeah, then she should just file it. Um, so it's not, her application won't be related to which company you're working for at the time. As long as your I-485 is still pending, she can submit her I-485 application. Um, okay. And you should make sure she does it pretty quickly. Okay, um, a new employee, and I don't have to be stay with old employer to do it. I can no, switch jobs. Don't. Okay, yeah. thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you. Sure. Guru Sharan. Hey, Rebecca, thank you for taking my question. I have a, just a follow-up on that. So I'm in the same case. We, you know, my employer filed my 485 adjustment of status in October. Mm-hmm. My wife was not with me at that time. Okay. Um, and my question is, would it be faster for her to file for her 485 within the U.S. or would it be faster for her to file uh, through consular processing? Um, she's a Canadian citizen, so it would go through the, you know, consulate in, in Canada. Okay. Um, it would definitely be faster to for her to do adjustment of status here in the U.S. That's usually what we recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is a way that she can come into the U.S. as soon as possible, uh, if you're still in H-1B, for example, then she can um, come in on H-4. Hopefully. Um, yep, yep. She already has her age for, you know, all of that. Stamp? Yep, that's fine. All, okay, all of that. Okay, great. Yep, so, yeah. yeah, that's the main challenge right now, getting visa stamp from the consulate. Yes, but right. if she has that, then, um, oh, well, if she's a Canadian citizen, she doesn't even need a visa stamp, I guess. So that's a benefit. Um, okay. But yeah, so we would definitely recommend that she come into the U.S. and file the I-485 here as soon as possible. Um, going through the consulate is, even pre-pandemic was a much more complicated process to apply mm-hmm. for the green card through the consulate. And now with the consulate delays, we can only imagine how much It'll longer slow. it would take. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. And my second question is that my employer filed for 485 and 485J um, back in October. Should I be expecting a separate receipt notice for 485J? Uh Yes, usually UCIS sends a separate receipt notice for the I-485J. Um, I think pretty, pretty frequently. And then we even get the approval notice for the I-485J. Um, if you did not receive a receipt notice for some reason, well, one thing is that they typically send the I-485J receipt notice, I think, to the employer only and maybe the attorney who filed it. Okay. Um, so yeah. you may not receive a copy directly to your home the way you would with all the other receipt notices. Got it. Because I got my receipt notice for 485, my EAD application, uh-huh. but nothing for 485J. Yeah, it was probably sent to the employer. Employer directly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That's all. Sure. Um, and then for the gentleman who was right before this person, um, one thing I want to mention is uh, if I mentioned that if you have children, you know, reaching the age of 21, you want to maintain H-1B status. If his wife is in India right now, he also wants to maintain H-1B status so she can get an H-4 visa and come into the U.S. Um, Hopefully she's already here, but if she is not, then that's another thing you have to keep in mind. That's another situation where you would want to maintain your H-1B if you have a spouse or children outside the U.S. who still need to get an H-4 visa to come in in order to file the I-485. Okay, uh, Gayatri, we can go to the next person. Okay. Samir? 
Um, hi, Rebecca. Uh, again, thank you for taking my question. Um, so I, my uh, priority date is uh, June of 2010. So we applied in October for me and my wife. Uh, her uh, initial application was rejected. We, we then got a letter from USCIS saying that she could reapply. And okay. so we reapplied for her in March. Uh, we are mm -hmm. still waiting on the biometrics for that. And then she also okay. has a pending H4 since September of uh, 2010. So at this, uh, sorry, of 2020. So we are still trying to figure out what would be the best way of getting um, her work permit either through H4 EAD or through GC EAD, or can we request for an expedite processing on either one of those or what would be the best way to go about? Yeah. Um, so she can have both pending at the same time, two I-765s, one based on the H-4 and one based on the I-485. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we're not anywhere closer to kind of fixing the H-4 EAD delay situation. There's the class action lawsuit that is making its way through the courts right now. And so we're hoping that there will be some resolution to that that will get the you know the number of h4 ead people who have applications pending get their work permit as soon as possible um but from our observation right now ucis isn't really entertaining expedite requests still i mean we uh you know since 2019 when the biometrics notice first started for h4s we tried a lot of expedite requests for the ead delays and they never went anywhere um, we've tried a few this year to see if the new administration is a little more open to considering them. Um, I haven't gotten any results yet from those expedite requests, so um, we're not that confident that um, that, that will produce okay. any results. Okay, because, uh, because of the travel restrictions right now, basically we have like, there is a job offer, but we're still just waiting till the whole thing is resolved. So, uh, and we don't even see like even the, the green card, the biometrics as, as you mentioned all, already that uh, we are not even getting the biometric requests yet. Mine was filed in October and we got that uh, last month and she hasn't gotten anything even from uh -huh. there. So, so yeah, it, so there apparently seems to, <laughs> no way other than probably yeah. just joining the class action lawsuit at this point. Yeah, well, she's already covered technically by the class action lawsuit um, because it was filed on, even if, you know, each, that's kind of the class action where you don't have to name each individual person. It covers everyone who's in that category. So hopefully there will be some movement on that soon. My prediction right now would be that she's more likely to get the EAD from the pending H4 faster than the EAD from the I-485 at this point, okay. because the, yeah, because the I-485 was just recently submitted um, in March and the H4 EAD was, has been- so in, so in that case, when, so, because mine was submitted in October and my priority date is current already. Uh, so when, and my 140, the only reason it's not picked up is I have a 140, which is successor and in interest filed. So they're still waiting to get okay. that from uh, from the labor department, I think. But as soon as that's done, if mine is picked, how does that work for her case? Does that go into effect as well, or she would be adjudicated whenever uh, it reaches her? Yeah, that's kind of hard to say. We don't know because we haven't really had the situation before where USCIS kind of erroneously rejected a number of spouse 
I-45s yeah. and then months later invited them to reapply. Um, norm, under normal circumstances, they kind of approve families together, but I don't really see them holding up your I-485 approval just because um, hers was submitted later, even though it should have been considered filed at the same time, but they can't approve hers until her biometrics are taken. So um, my prediction, because we haven't really seen the situation, is that they may go ahead and approve your I-485 and then still process hers because it will still need to go through the biometrics and the security check, everything else they do, and then hers may be um, approved later. Okay, uh, just the last part of it is, do we have a timeline on the class action lawsuit at all? Not right now, as far as I know. I, I know that the two sides have been kind of in negotiations with the government. There have been some early kind of things from the government, like the agreement to remove the biometrics for any new applications. Kind of the most recent statements from the government were that they are hoping that by this fall, I-539 applications will be at a six month processing window. Okay. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's all we've heard. Okay, that, that's fine. Thank you so much. Sure. Yep. Um, we can take one more, Gayatri. Okay, sure. Pavan? I have a quick question, please. Thank you, uh, Rebecca. Uh, mm -hmm. During I do we need to work with the employer who is filing 485? Uh, no, it's not technically required. Um, so if you're not working for the company that has the approved I-140 application for you, then they would have at least had to submit an I-485J supplement with your I-485 application confirming that they still have the job offer for you that was described in the I-140 application. So technically that job offer always has to be there, but theoretically it could be a future job. You don't have to be working there at the moment, although um, we don't know how much USCIS is going to look into the genuineness of the job offer when the applicant is not working for that company. Um, it's a stronger case, definitely, if you are working for that company, because it, it, you know, if you're working there, then it, it's clear that there is a genuine job offer. Um, we haven't heard USCIS sending, you know, RFEs or inquiring too much into when or whether there is a genuine job offer or asking like when the applicant intends to join the I-140 petitioner if they are not. Um, but yeah, so we don't know how much USCIS will look into it. But theoretically, it's not technically required. And then um, I did get a couple of uh, questions in the chat about our predictions for the priority date movement based on the recent statements by Charles Oppenheim earlier this week about the visa bulletin and the potential green cards that USCIS may not be able to issue this fiscal year. Um, I don't have any predictions right now. Um, I don't know if Rahul is developing other predictions, but um, I think the statements by Mr. Oppenheim make it even more 
clear. The only thing it makes clear, I would say, is that it's almost impossible to predict um, what the party dates will look like in October. I think no one foresaw last October and then kind of the expectation that everyone has been having, including Mr. Oppenheim for most of this fiscal year, he seems to be kind of throwing some doubt into that now. So I am very hesitant to make any predictions. Um, although it's not to say that there's no way that the party date can move forward in October. That's not what he said. And that's not um, what anyone is saying. It's just, and there could be um, action taken to motivate USCIS to process those applications in, you know, the rest of the summer and before October in order to prevent the wastage of those green cards. Um, if, uh, so our partner, Emily Newman, on her blog, Immigration Girl, um, she has some really good templates there for contacting your local congressman to uh, encourage, uh, talk to your representatives to get them to put pressure on USCIS to process the pending applications so that those green cards are not wasted and the, the surplus of green cards that is expected for this year will, you know, will be applied towards this coming October. So we would definitely recommend that people take a look at that and um, contact your representatives to try to put pressure on USCIS to, to get it done so that um, the green cards don't go to waste, that people who have pending I-485s can get their green cards within a reasonable amount of time, and that new people can apply for this coming fiscal year. Um, beyond that, I am, yeah, I am not comfortable making any predictions as far as target dates or anything like that, because it is it seems like there could be a, a lot of events that we don't know what will happen this summer. Um, so I think we will close the meeting here for now. Um, our office is closed uh, on Monday, July 5th for um, as kind of the Independence Day holiday, but uh, we will resume the conference on Tuesday, I believe at 1130 Central Time, and I believe Rahul will be in that call. Sorry, Rebecca. So do we need to work after uh, 485 approval with the company or no need to? Um, I would say that it's safest to. Um, you know, the, the whole point of the I-485 is that the company has been saying that we have this job offer and that when he, when the applicant gets their green card, they will join the company in this position. Um, Although USCIS does not really, as far as I know, have um, a process or mechanism to, you know, at the six month mark after the I-485 is approved, go back and see how many people joined or stayed with that company. We haven't, you know, seen that. But what we definitely have started seeing under the previous administration was that at the stage where people apply for naturalization, where they apply for citizenship, which are um, you're eligible for after five years of having your green card. Um, under the previous administration, there were quite a number of naturalization applications where the government, USCIS, sent RFEs 
digging into whether the green card was properly issued, whether it was properly approved, sometimes digging into whether um, a certain filing fee was properly submitted like 10 or 12 years ago, sometimes to, to get that person's I-485 application. So, um, you know, even though we haven't seen specific inquiries on that matter of, you know, how long or whether the applicant joined the I-140 petitioner, um, I would say it's, it, it's not unreasonable. I, it wouldn't surprise me if the government um, looked into it at the citizenship stage, potentially. So I would always say that it is, if you're having a company file the I-45J supplement for you, it is always safer and a stronger application if you do join that company, either before the I-45 is approved or at the time it is approved. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so we can close the call here for today. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.